0: A bill written by Pontiac High Schoolers is on its way
1: to the Illinois Senate. Central Illinois reacts to potential ban on menthol cigarettes. More on these stories. I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. I'm Sierra Henry.
0: And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short.
1: Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. So big news coming out of Decatur this week, our readers may have noticed a few changes, well, a lot of changes actually, to the Decatur Herald Review website. This is exciting news to us and the website looks great. It's super user friendly and totally tailored to your experiences. So when you log into your Herald and Review account, you'll be shown articles and videos on our website that may be of interest to you. And if you haven't taken a look, head on over to heraldhyperreview.com and play around. There you can access all of our articles, videos, photos, and more. With that, we have a special guest popping in with us this afternoon to explain an interesting series running across all three of our papers. (laughs) Tim Egger, our Bloomington City government reporter, is going to tell us about the Farm Runoff series.
2: Hey, Kelsey and Sierra. it's, It's good to be back. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, So For the last couple weeks, um, me and some reporters from the Herald and Review and the JGTC have been in fields, we've been in um, municipal water treatment plants, we've been in government offices talking with a number of players in the central Illinois agricultural industry about um, how they're meeting the goals of the state's nutrient loss reduction strategy. So this this strategy aims to reduce nitrogen nitrate loads in state waterways by 15% and phosphorus loads by 25% by 2025. Uh, And a report in 2019 found that the state is essentially not on track to meet those goals. So uh, another report is, is due out later this year, and it's likely going to have a similar conclusion that the state really is not close to meeting these these goals to reduce nitrate runoff in in waterways and it's a big deal because these nitrates touch local watersheds which is where a lot of municipalities pull their drinking water from but hundreds of miles away runoff can also flow into larger bodies of water like the gulf of mexico which causes eutrophication that's a process that essentially kills aquatic life in the water so the fertilizer that is applied in McLean County, Macon County, Coles County can have huge effects really far downstream. And so we've spent weeks talking with farmers about what they're doing. We have been talking, like I said, to municipalities about what they're doing to reduce runoff. And we've also been talking to players at the state level. And sort of the resounding conclusion is that farmers are very conscious about the strategy and how they play a role in this larger ecosystem, and they're implementing methods like cover crops, strip tilling. Um, but sort of no matter what they do, they're pounded by really severe weather events, uh, rain and flooding that contributes to um, the, the runoff. And they're also met with the reality of the state not funding enough to not providing enough funding to implement these strategies as well. So. Um, you can read more about what we found in, in our series. It's three parts. The first launched on Wednesday, and it wraps up on Friday. We have drone footage. We have charts. We have really great interviews. Uh, all of that is can be found across our three websites, pantograph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com.
1: Great synopsis, Tim. That was great. I, I learned so much. Um, it was a great story uh that the, that the four of you right it was you brendan moore kate heather and rob Strad with jgtc so like really well done i'm really looking forward to seeing like the reaction that that maybe maybe we'll get some reaction from state leaders and, and that kind of thing
0: yeah but thanks tim so much for popping in to Share some knowledge that we did not have. So uh yeah, always a pleasure to have you on the pod. And now we're gonna move into our regularly scheduled news coverage. So Sierra, what's been happening in local and state government this week?
1: This weekend and early this week, our State House reporter Brendan Moore has been keeping busy working to make sure all our readers are up to date on the latest redistricting news. On Wednesday, Brendan wrote that Illinois Democrats are facing a quote, a barrage of criticism from Republicans and advocacy groups following two hearings over their legislative redistricting proposal. The party unveiled their proposed boundaries last Friday, but have offered few details. Illinois Republicans have raised numerous concerns and questions over the data used behind the redistricting process, as well as district demographics. But this week, Democrats have stressed that the map is just a proposal and more. information is to come before it is finalized. Brendan has taken a few deep dive looks at the proposed map and has spoken with several state representatives in our coverage area. To read more about what state reps are saying, visit heraldandreview.com to get the full scoop.
0: Coffee lovers rejoice! The Mattoon Planning Commission this week approved a request to subdivide space in front of the Cross County Mall for a new Dunkin' Donut and Coffee Shop, Rob Stroud reported. The new coffee shop would be constructed on a now vacant lot in front of the mall where a Taco Bell had had been located. The commission also recommended approving the Mattoon School District's permit request for developing a career training center in a former Consolidated Communications building in downtown Mattoon. For full meeting coverage, be sure to check out Rob Stroud's report at jg-tc.com.
1: And now let's move into uh, some health news. This week, health reporter Lindsay Jones took a deep dive look, that's my favorite word of the week, into a proposed ban on the sale of menthol cigarettes, which the Federal Food and Drug Administration is expected to soon make a decision on. Jones spoke with a number of people for this story, including tobacco shop owners and advocacy groups such as the Illinois American Lung Association. The issue may not be so cut and dry, however, Jones detailed how the ban is a quote-unquote multifaceted issue for black smokers. While the number of white teenagers smoking menthols has declined, nearly 85% of black smokers still use menthol cigarettes in particular, she wrote. The ACLU also worries that the ban could lead to more police encounters with people of color. This is an incredibly complicated and interesting issue that is going on right now, so if you want to learn more, read Jones' story at PainterGraph.com. And with that, Kelsey is going to tell us about some Pontiac students who are making making legislation.
0: Kind of. So House Bill 3928, which would create the Illinois 30 by 30 Conservation Task Force Act, passed in the Illinois House on Earth Day and now it's on its way to the State Senate. You might be thinking, okay, why is this under education news? Well, that's because two Pontiac Township High School students, Keegan Hall and Emily Collins, wrote House Bill 3928 and testified before the Senate Environment and Conservation Committee on Thursday. The task force would have listening sessions across the state to address ways Illinois can protect 30% of its land and water resources by 2030. Collins said protecting 30% by 2030 is important for the climate and to protect biodiversity. So to read more about this bill and other projects the Pontiac students have been working on, be sure to to
1: check out Lenore Sabota's story at pantograph.com. Uh, the last day of school fell this week for several schools in the area, and more will kick off the summer next week. To celebrate, the staff at Argenta Oriana welcome their students to the last day dressed up as a unicorn, T-Rex, bunny, a whole bunch of dancing bananas, and more. <laughs> The elementary school's administrative assistant, Crystal Sunderland, started making morning drop-off a bit more fun after spring break, and every Friday she's dressed up in different costumes just for the heck of it. Her coworkers joined her for the last day on Tuesday and brought out a speaker to blast some early morning dance music. Now that's the way to start the day in my opinion. Uh, Reporter Valerie Wells has this fun story with a lot of photos and video from Clay Jackson over at heraldhyphenreview.com, so be sure to check it all out. Uh, That's such a cute story. We need more of this. I'm really glad. I can only imagine unicorns and t-rexes dancing to music. That's great. Okay, now Kelsey's going to tell us about some baseball... The normal Corn
0: Belters are ready to be back in the Corn Crib this summer, returning to the Prospect League after the season was canceled last year. For the 2020 season, the Colonels Collegiate League made its home at the crib and the Belters were still able to play, but this summer, the Corn Crib will host both leagues, making for a busy, busy year of baseball. The Belters' roster features three players from Penn State, two from Indiana, one each from Nebraska and Northwestern, as well as former Illinois State basketball player Taylor Brunagee as a pitcher. So for the full story, look, looking forward to the season that opened this week, be sure to find Randy Reinhardt's story at
1: pantograph.com. Yay, baseball. Mount Zion freshman Hooper, Denver Anderson's two biggest fans are always in the stands. Her mom, Becky Clayton Anderson, and her five-year-old sister, Shoni. That was until Shoni's leukemia diagnosis in February. For the first time in her five-year-old life, she had to miss some games while she underwent treatment. But as basketball has become a mainstay in the family, likewise Shoni has become a fixture for Mount Zion Sports, and this community support has swelled around her in the last few months. Reporter Matt Flan has Shoni and Denver's story at herald-review.com, and if you're definitely and you're definitely going to want to check out this one to see for yourself the little girl who as her sister says, has been brave, strong, and handled this better than any of us could. And Shoni, uh, the Pantograph, Herald-Review, and JGTC are thanking for you, we're cheering for you, and we hope you are heading toward recovery. So now we're going to get into some public safety and courts news, starting with some stuff coming out of Eastern Illinois University. An Eastern Illinois University student who was mistaken for a
0: suspect and threatened in the Quad Cities is getting a $50,000 settlement from the East Moline Police Department and another settlement from a former Hampton police officer. Jalen Butler was 19 and the only black swimmer on the Eastern team when he was stopped by East Moline officers in early 2019. He had just stepped off the EIU bus at a rest area off Interstate 80 when he was spotted by officers who were searching for a shooting suspect. Butler was taken to the ground, handcuffed, and threatened that if he moved, he would be shot in the head, according to his complaint. The suspect officers had been searching for was a 6'6 man who weighed 230 pounds, but but instead they apprehended Butler, who was 5'10 and weighed 160 pounds. The ACLU of Illinois took his case, and they reached a settlement agreement last week that awarded Butler $50,000 from the department and Officer Travis Stays, and a settlement was also reached with former Hampton Officer Ethan Bush. But the terms of the agreement with Bush have not been made public. We have a full story as well as coverage tracking this story from the very beginning at jg-tc.com, so be sure to check that out.
1: A Mattoon woman this week was ordered to make a $10,000 donation to the American Cancer Society to cover money that was donated to her based on false claims that she had cancer. Cheryl L. Moore, 41, pleaded guilty to a felony theft charge after she falsely claimed to have cancer and for receiving donations through an online fundraising account. The $10,000 donation to uh, the American Cancer Society is about the same as she received herself. Um, she was sentenced to two years. Pro- she was also sentenced to two years on probation. To read more about the terms of her probation and the crime, find DeFoe's story at jg tccom So with all of the good, good coverage that we've had this week, it's also been one that has been a little solemn and a time for remembrance um, instead of our regular miscellaneous community news and banter that we always do. Uh, we're going to talk about the anniversary of um, George Floyd's murder. Kelsey's going to tell us about the article that she wrote with Kate Heather and all of the people that they spoke with um, in Bloomington Normal who really came out, um, who came out in droves last year to protest this horrible event that was luckily captured on bystander camera and has led to the arrest and um, conviction of Derek Chauvin, former Minneapolis police officer.
0: So yeah, this week, uh, the anniversary of George Floyd's murder was May 25th. I, for one, remember exactly how I was feeling exactly a year ago. But um, this year, we, Kate and I were able to talk to some of the people who showed up um, who hit the streets last year just to say enough is enough to say we're done dying, essentially. Um, And it was really powerful and interesting to talk to so many people. Um, One, uh, a criminal justice professor I've spoken to a few times, Miltonette Craig, she said that her feelings a year ago are essentially the same as they are now. Exasperation and hopelessness, but for very different reasons. It was exasperation and hopelessness then because it felt like they couldn't, uh, I'm essentially quoting her, it felt like they couldn't see an end to police violence against Black people. And on top of that, it was a pandemic and they felt like they couldn't come out and have their voices heard as much. And now, a year later, there's still a sense of hopelessness because yes, Derek Chauvin was convicted of murder in this case, but countless others have also uh, have met the same end as George Floyd, essentially. Um, the names Andrew Brown, Dante Wright, Makia Bryant came up. Kate spoke with uh, Mike Batika, who's a chairman for the Not In Our Town Bloomington Normal, and he mentioned there was, a according to data, a, data, a federal database, 200 at least 224 other black people have been killed by police since floyd's death a year ago and that was out of 1032 people killed by police many of those the race is unknown so that number could be much higher as well as other people of color meeting the same end so yeah the the people the general consensus was we're not done this isn't over it is a year later and that that death really touched uh was a touching off point for so many people it woke up so many people but so many people have been saying this for decades and they know that it's not over still (laughs) so many people didn't didn't need to see it on camera to know that this is happening because these are these are the types of experience experiences that happen in their communities so um members of the NAACP uh President Linda Foster, as well as Vice President, First Vice President uh, Dr. Carla Campbell Jackson, spoke about legislation that has come up in the time since um, since Floyd's murder last year, including the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus's reform package. Um, we spoke about that a few months ago. There were a lot of tenants in that that uh, include the elimination of cash bail, as well as um, more accountability for officers. From there, I. Local police departments and our sheriff's office have spoken with the NAACP about diversity hiring while they're facing a shortage of applicants. They also are facing, they're looking at their teams behind them and their teams behind them don't reflect the community that they serve. Um, So that is a big issue that um, came up in this reflection story. It's It's a big conversation and one that did not start a year ago. And it did not end when that verdict came down. It's an ongoing process. And um, as a, another criminal justice professor told me, pro- uh, change is a slow process, essentially. And uh, it takes it takes not just policy, but it has to come from the inside as well. It has to come from officers not being afraid to speak up. Um, I know a lot of people were surprised during the Jer- Derek Chauvin trial that officers testified against him, but that's essentially what uh, Dr. Ashley Farmer said needs to happen, that blue code of silence, uh, Dr. Craig said the same thing, that blue code of silence needs to come down and officers can't assume that they shouldn't speak up. They should know that they should know that they have an obligation to tell the truth and serve their community and not just punish their community. So, um, I really hope you'll check out the story that Kate and I worked really hard on and we really tried to reach as many people as we could for this. Um, but, and (laughs) I was, (laughs) it was a very long story and I wish I could have included more. Uh, we had so many great interviews. I talked to teachers, I talked to students, I talked to uh, people who were there when a motorcyclist drove through a protest last year. There's a lot in the story, and there's a lot more conversation that needs to be had here. So, um, yeah, Cade My Stories over at pantograph.com. Please check it out. There's video as well, and uh, a cha- it's, it's a chance to reflect and a chance to look
1: forward. Thank you, Kelsey. For, um, it was a great story. I read it. Um, you guys did a great job. Fantastic. Um, but that's going to do it for us today, folks. Uh, as always, if you're enjoying this podcast and our reporting, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, head on over to Panagraph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism.